Well, hello there, everybody. I am Blaine. This is Tapeheads, 80s music and beyond. And I'm Todd. And this is the podcast where we talk about a lot of songs from the 80s. Songs that we like, songs that we don't like, songs that are interesting. (laughs) We talk about some popular culture, maybe some movies, um, video games, although we have not talked about a video game yet in any of our podcasts, but it may come up. That's probably good because I don't know very much about them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But that's fine. But I do know a lot about music and movies. (laughs) I did have an Intellivision. Yeah, I did not. Okay, well. My brother had a Sega Genesis. No, a Sega Master System. This is fascinating. What song are we talking about today, Todd? Uh, today, we're going to talk about a song that we actually love. It's not one we hate at all. It's one called Woman in Chains, and it is by Tears for Fears. From the album, The Seeds of Love. Is that the album, or is it Sowing the Seeds of Love? Sowing the Seeds of Love is the song. It, but the album is called Seeds of Love? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yes. Looking at it right here. All right, you're right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you want to say about this song? Oh, we got lots to say about this song. This is one of my favorites. This is actually the first CD I ever bought. Not only was I late to uh, getting the Holy PC, cow. this was the first, it was 1989, I didn't have a CD player until then. I always had tapes and records and stuff, but I finally got a CD player, and this is the first album I bought, and I still have it. This copy is the same one <laughs> that I've had since then. Tears for Fears, bef- let, me, let me talk about before this. They had a pretty big album which was Songs from the Big Chair. And this is the album that had uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Shout. Um, Shout, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and gosh, what was that other song? I'm drawing a blank. Just... <laughs> we can cut this part out. Talk about Head over heels. Oh my gosh. Head over heels. <laughs> Head over heels. <laughs> took this long enough crap <laughs> anyway songs from the picture i had that album i had that album yeah I, I do too their instruments of choice on that album big time was synthesizer yeah nothing but yes and roland orzabal plays guitar fairly well mm-hmm. and kurt smith plays bass and i think he probably did play bass on that album but the the album was mostly synthesizers and they were out touring for that album and they came upon a singer in, I believe, Kansas City in a bar or eatery where yeah, they were hotel, at. hotel bar where she was performing. And who was that? That would be Olita Adams, who was formerly of Yakima, Washington. Which is, that's funny in itself. That's where we're from. <laughs> yeah, and not, not a lot comes from Yakima, Washington. No, Olita so... Adams, um, Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. A few sports guys, uh, Scott Hatterberg. Yeah, um, I don't know them. You don't know him. I threw him out at first base when I played Pony League. (laughs) Actually, I don't know if I did or not. But anyway. Being from Yakima is kind of like being from Canada. Everyone knows who the famous Canadians are. And everyone from Yakima knows who the famous people from Yakima are. Yes. (laughs) And Alita Adams is one of them. So they saw her singing in this nightclub and were pretty impressed. And they had felt that they kind of wanted to get more back to the roots of music for this next album and not rely so much on the synthesizer part of it. Right. They wanted a more organic and warm sound rather than the sort of sterile and clinical sound that they'd had before that. Yeah. Although it certainly had done them well. I yeah, mean, they oh, yeah. made a lot of money off that album. Yeah, oh, I love they're great albums. <laughs> no question. These guys, they were from uh, Bath, England. 
not that that matters at all, but th- that's where they were from, and they were part of this whole primal scream stuff. Um, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up. Actually, well, this be, all out. you bring it. No, no, it's 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 Roland went to college to study psychology, and uh, the way they started the band was so they could get rich and get famous and get therapy. <laughs> so I would say that they succeeded in that respect. So that's why you brought that up. So they had studied Primal Scream and and uh, they had made this album. They, you know, this was their second album, but they really hit it big with that. And they saw this woman singing, Olita Adams, mm-hmm. and they must have wrote her name down. <laughs> I'm sure so they could get a hold of her later on when they were when they were doing their album. They found her on Facebook. They befriended her. Yeah, Facebook back then. So 1989 they didn't have Facebook that oh, back really? then. It was oh, really? Okay. MySpace. <laughs> no, it would have been uh, CompuServe. <laughs> they found her on CompuServe. <laughs> so AOL. They went back and they started writing their album Seeds of Love and they start doing this song called Woman in Chains and they invited her to come and sing with it, on it, sorry. I think it's worth mentioning, too, that they had started an album already called Seeds of Love. You can hear a lot of the demos. Some of them are just Roland and Kurt and their producer, who was the same guy who worked with them on the previous album. And they would jam for a really long time, and they'd record everything, and then they'd put it into the uh, computer and mess with it. Would you care to guess what kind of synthesizer they were using by this time? Just take a wild stab in the dark. An Oberheim? Well, possibly, but really, most famously, it was, of course, a Fairlight. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. <laughs> Our favorite. <laughs> As we were getting ready to do this this podcast about this song, I, I looked, oh, I'll look up Woman in Chains on uh, Wikipedia and see what it says on there. Oh, lo and behold, personnel, Roland Orzabal, vocals, keyboards, Fairlight programming, <laughs> and guitar. Yeah, so they would do these endless jam sessions, and then they'd load them into the Fairlight and tweak them and sort of see what happens. And you can hear a lot of that stuff on, there's an album that came out, I think it was either before or right after this, that have a bunch of the singles and B-sides and rarities and stuff. It's called Saturnine, Martial, and Lunatic. Oh, yes, and I it have has that. And it has a lot of these jam sessions on it. So if you're really into that, you can hear, hear that. It's a combination of the old and the new, mostly the old, because they hadn't quite made the leap yet into this new sound. So, what's this song about? I only found this out while doing research for this. I came across an interview with him from a couple of years ago, and he said it was an ode to his mom, who back when she was younger was a stripper. She and Roland's dad owned a club his dad would hire a driver to take her to the club and then he would spy on her. And if uh, she talked to any other men while she was there, he'd beat her up when she got home. So this song started, I know I never knew that. And it just, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Roland was also studying women's theory as part of his psychological training, as part of his schooling. So he was reading a bunch of that, and he's also sort of thinking about his mom's experiences, and he just sort of took it from a specific experience to a more universal experience. You better love, you better be. 
So Roland is taking this song, and most of the world has a patriarch, patriarchy, where the man is in charge. But he says there are some world organizations where they don't have that, where the man and the woman no, nobody is is ultimately in charge. Like usually, it's the man that's not in charge, and that's one of the things he's talking about in this song. Is he's just kind of putting down how women are treated in most of the places in the world. Kind of, they take the second fiddle, and the man is in charge of everything. Well, whether they take it or they're sort of left with the second fiddle because the men just sort of subjugate them. Right. It's not like they're choosing to be in second place. <laughs> Yeah, and so he, in this song, he's not. He is talking specifically about a um, relationship where the woman is beaten, but it's not necessarily about that. It is about the whole thing where his mom was beaten by his father, but the father was in charge. Why is the father in charge all the time? And that's kind of what he's saying about that. In the song. I remember you saying in the uh, Till Tuesday episode that you don't particularly care for women singers. <laughs> and man, if, if you don't care for Alita Adams' voice on this, I might have to find another partner for this podcast because <laughs> it just does not get better than her. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> now, when I say I don't like women's voices, I just, I, for some reason, I don't, they just, they don't speak to me in most music senses. It's not that I don't like them. I just... I don't have a lot of famous or favorite women singers. I don't say, "Oh, I'm going to go down and buy the new woman singer Katy Perry album or whoever." Katy Perry, Lady Gaga. She's actually really good. <laughs> Lady Gaga is. This song is uh, fairly interesting. Um, the chorus does not come in until two minutes into this song, which is very unique, oh, wow. especially in today's music where the chorus hits within before thirty seconds. TikTok length. Yeah. Um, Bob Claremountain was the guy who mixed this song, which I found pretty, pretty interesting. He's, he's mixed a lot of, a lot of famous people's songs and he, he mixed this song. Yeah. He's got a huge discography and, and, and to follow up on that, like this is a song that many studio recording engineers and mixers, when they're going to a different studio, they will take music that they're familiar with, that they know sounds really good. And many people use woman in chains as a reference. So this song has Manu Kache on drums for the first three and a half minutes of this song is Manu Kache. And they wanted to get somebody who would hit the drums really hard and make this song really powerful. Manu Kache does not play like that. He plays with lots of splashes and hi-hats and very intricate in the way that he plays drums. So they got Manu Kacha. He plays drums at the beginning of the song, but three and a half minutes into the song, who does it turn to? The one and only Phil Collins. I think I mentioned in an earlier episode that I used to want to learn how to play drums when I first started playing guitar, but we didn't have room in our house for drums. 
but I always wanted to be a drummer, and so I always have paid attention to drums in songs. That's actually one of the first things I think about when I'm starting a new production or a new recording is I'll start with drums. And this song, it has one of my favorite drum fills, and I can highlight it here at the, when it comes up to it at the end. But it's a very famous drum fill, and it's amazing. I don't even know what part that is. Yes, you do. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the end. It's after the big key change. So free her. You'll know it. So Phil Collins, I mean, he's a you know basically a pop artist, and but he's a drummer, and he hits the drums really hard, and so they wanted Phil Collins to play drums on the last half of this song to make this song really hit hard, but have the intricacies at the beginning, because the first half of this song, they're building up bar by bar. You notice that the song gets, more stuff is added into the song, and it gets louder and louder for the first half of the song, well, maybe a little bit more. And then it kind of mirrors itself, then it slowly starts to fade away through the last half of the song. Instruments go away from the mix, and it finally just kind of fades out. So they invited Olita Adams into the studio to record. And like we said, she is from Yakima. She went to uh, Davis High School, which is not the high school we went to. Um, and so your dad, who was a percussionist and does not like wrapped around your finger by police. I don't know if he even knows it, but I can tell you that he wouldn't like it. Yeah, when we when this song was out on MTV, we would be my brother and I would be over at Dad's house and we'd be watching it. And this song would come on often. And one time we were watching, it and he walked in the living room. and We're like, Dad, check this out. This is Tears for Fears, but it's got this lady named Alita Adams, and she's actually from Yakima, believe it or not. And he's like, Oh yeah, Alita Adams. Yeah, I know her. And we're like, Okay, sure you do. And he's like, No, I was her insurance agent for a long time back in the day. And we were like, get out of here. There's no way that's true. And so he goes off in his office and he goes to a file cabinet. Rum and rum and a couple minutes later, he walks out with a file. Alita Adams. <laughs> we're just like, what? <laughs> that is freaking crazy. I know. That was weird to see that. Of all the places for some famous person to come from, and then to have my dad have a personal connection. So yeah, Alita, if you're listening to this, um, I'd like to meet you. I'll say hi to my dad for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. Could happen. Small world. So she uh, toured with, with Tears for Fears when they toured for this album in 1990. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I've seen Tears for Fears twice. I did not see them then. I saw them when they got back together for this um, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending tour. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have seen that. And then I saw them last summer for their current album. They toured on that, and I saw them for that. And it was great. Cool. Yeah, they're they're still on my bucket list. I haven't seen them yet, and I might be running out of time. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, uh, Roland Orsball's hair is getting very white. They still perform this song live, often with a big orchestra. They'll always have a guest singer. Sometimes Alita still performs with them to this day. Yeah, well, they did this tour. They had a woman singing with them through the whole show, and she did sing this song. Her name's Karina... Karina something. Oh, what's the band she's from? She's from a famous band. Not Paramore, but a band like that. Oh, Pucifer. She's from Pucifer. 
from what? Pucifer. P-U-S-C-I-F-E-R. Do not know that album or that that band. Well, she's a singer for him. Check them out. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, when Alita can't do it, they'll call her or someone. They'll have other people do it too. Have you seen the movie Boxing Helena? Oh, gosh. Yes, but not in 30 years. Okay. Well, I, I have not seen that movie. This song is used in that movie. Oh, really? And that movie's about a woman that is kidnapped, and he cuts off her arms and legs. Jeez. Do you remember this movie? I haven't seen no, it. No, I don't remember it. It's been... Uh, look, when I worked at the video store back in the day, it came out then. It's got Helena Bonham Carter in it. She's the main actress. But gosh, I don't, I don't remember the movie at all. Okay, well, they use this song in that movie. All right. Good to know. <laughs> but anyway, the woman... <laughs> I mean, sure, I remember that, of course. She wasn't in chains, she was actually in a box. But they couldn't sing Woman in a Box. Woman in a Cardboard Box. One of the other th- interesting things I thought about this song is the way they overlap the vocals between the man and the woman, and it really centralizes and locks in the message that they're trying to get across which if just a guy sang about a woman it would still come across as patriarchal but if the woman sings along in the same line or as a counterpoint to it then it it accentuates the message and makes a sense of equality And the way the lines intersect, like especially when the, when it's building up, like you were talking about, when the instruments all start coming in, and that's when Roland and Alita are sort of doing this nice interplay. It's almost operatic in its scope. It's just they interweave with each other, and they sing around each other, and sometimes she's in the background, and sometimes she's in the foreground. But, I mean, she just brings such an elevation to this song. I mean, I could almost imagine this being a shocking song. If you're just expecting Tears for Fears, you know, here's Tears for Fears, album number three. It's going to sound like all their other stuff. This is the first song on the album. Real drums, real fretless bass. Fairlight, obviously, that's new for them. Very organic. It starts with Roland singing. Okay, still normal Tears for Fears. All of a sudden, boom. Olita Adams, a black woman who's American. I could see that being shocking to some people if you're not expecting that. In the video, too, it's the same thing. Like it starts off, you just think it's going to be a regular Tears for Fears video, and then Alita Adams appears. You're just like, whoa, this looks amazing. Was this the first song released from this album? I had the CD. I remember throwing this in and riding around town just rocking this album out because this, I loved this album. And I, I had the Tears for Fears um, songs from the Big Chair LP, and so I, but I wasn't a huge Tears for Fears fan but when this album came out i did become a big tears for fears fan and then of course they broke up right uh, roland continued on um and i and i had all those cds because i oh, i love his music i do too this was not the first single the first single was uh sowing the seeds of love and then this was the second one i'm pretty sure If you haven't heard this album, uh, 
guys, check it out. It oh, is a great yeah. album. Sowing the Seeds of Love has got this Beatlesque thing to it. Um, didn't Bob Clearmountain uh, mix that song too? Probably did the whole thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think he did because I think on YouTube there is a thing about him and how he mixed it because somebody else had mixed it and Roland didn't mm. said that the guy didn't get what what he was wanting to go on with it and Bob Bob mixed it. Anyway, so it's there's this Beatlesque stuff to the to the sowing the seeds love absolutely crazy song just goes on bad man's song isn't that from this album yeah yeah song yeah. number two uh year of the knife i believe this is so oh yeah, yeah excellent yeah, yeah, yeah. excellent album it's actually good on vinyl i prefer it on vinyl not because i'm a vinyl snob but it just if you listen to it on the cd all the way through the first three songs are like bam 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 amazing songs and then the pacing of the album gets a little bit slower and a little darker and it, the energy level dips and if you play it on vinyl, you get to the first four or five songs, and then you get up and you flip the record over, and you're like, okay, now I know what's coming. I know this one's going to take a little while to build up again, but it will. It doesn't feel like an energy drop. You know, that is one of the things that has changed. I am not one of those LP guys. I loved the huge album covers, mm -hmm. but to me, I don't think that LPs sound that good. The bass is not that great. Uh, I just, the way they had to, to master for LP, I think CDs are way better. You know, I know that some people get the warmth of LPs and you do miss that in CDs, but tapes had that warmth in them, you know, but, and I, and I get that. But I still feel that it's much more clean and more responsive on the CD. So I don't feel that way with LPs. But I do get what you're talking about where there is a side one and a side two. You know, with the CD, you know, it's 47 minutes long or whatever, and they just kind of throw 10 songs together on there, and it makes one listen. But with an LP, it's actually two listens. And I do get that. I wouldn't say that... LPs sound better, or they sound warmer. I don't think they do. I like them for a number of other reasons, which is the sort of tactileness of it, and it's it's almost like a little ritual to put a record on and put the needle on. It's like a little ritual, but also like the size of the album cover is amazing. Especially this album cover is great art. It's just a brilliant cover. But when they do reissues of albums for mastering now, mastering for vinyl has come a long way over the last you know few decades, and so when they do a reissue. They've mastered it in a whole new way, and it sounds amazing. Same with Jellyfish, Spilt Milk. The reissue of that on vinyl sounds fantastic, and there's not going to be a reissue on CD. So, of either of these, probably. So, I mean, that's how you get the new versions. That's what I love about vinyl. It's like they're putting out new versions on vinyl all the time, especially these classic albums. So you get to hear them in a new way. Well, I really doubt that I'm going to go pick up a turntable and start getting stuff on vinyl again. I just don't see myself doing that. Yeah, that's fine. But I, I just wanted to let you know that that's why I love it so much. It's just, it's more fun to listen. Like, sure, I listen to Spotify and I listen to CDs and stuff. But records for the very special records that I have, like this one and Jellyfish and things like that. I mean, it's just, it's just fun. It's just more fun to listen to them that way. Anyway, this album is a great album. I mean, check it out. The, you know, if you are not a 
fan of Tears for Fears. They are one of the greatest bands that has been out. Just the way that they take the instruments, guitars, um, synthesizers, and just layer them is incredible. Just incredible songwriting. And and check out um, the Tears for Fears that came out that did not have Kurt Smith in it. Like um, Elemental. Uh, Elemental, incredible. Oh, my gosh. Rules and the King of Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Kurt came back for Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, which is a total Beatlesque oh, album. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. And then the newest album, Tipping Point keep wanting to say tripping the live fantastic (laughs) but anyway tipping point is a great album it takes a while to get used to but it is a great album and uh they they kind of did an album and then kind of scrapped it and kind of went back and redid it because things weren't going along the way the way they wanted to do it again but the new album is a great album there are so many great albums What's the album that was before Songs in the Big Chair that has that one song that was popular? The Hurting. The Hurting. I haven't listened to a lot of that album because it's it's not the Tears for Fears that I really like. But I should go back. Yeah, it, you really should. There's a bunch of great songs in it. And it's consistent. It's not as good as Big Chair, but it is still consistently good throughout and you can just put it on and you'll know a lot of the songs like mother's talk and all that uh mother's mother's talk is on songs in the big chair oh is it what's the one okay well there are plenty of hits <laughs> plenty of hits on uh, hurting too so yeah sure like you really know <laughs> <laughs> they're one of the so what movie are we talking about hold today? on just a second i was gonna say so what movie <laughs> hold on i'm just kidding tears or fears are one of those bands i feel like that Everybody says, oh, I love Tears for Fears. I love Everybody Wants to Rule the World. They have a huge catalog, and they have a ton of albums. And if you just listen to most people, you would think that they only had one album or maybe two. But they have 10 or 12. And we are recommending that you check out as many as you can. They're worth the deep dive. The one album that that, that Kurt did on his own only had one hit on it, which is Break It Down Again. The next album didn't have any hits. The Everybody Loves a Happy Ending there was no hits off that music had completely changed by then. Um, you know, only the older people were kind of listening to that and they're not the ones that were out buying records. Actually, no one was buying records. Then. No, not they then. weren't the ones out <laughs> buying CDs or getting stuff off of Apple. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're great. And those albums, if they would have been released back in the eighties or whatever, when, uh, people were listening to them a lot, they would have been hits too. I think I would recommend if someone doesn't know any of these later albums, I would say, listen to elemental, and obviously this one, Seeds of Love, but then Elemental, and then Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Yeah. Because you get to hear some of their post-Kurt stuff, and then you get to hear some of the newer stuff, and it's unbelievable. Both of those albums are just fantastic. Cannot recommend them highly enough. I agree.
So, what movie are we talking about today? <laughs> we are talking about the 1988 movie called Heathers, starring my celebrity crush, Winona Ryder. Really? Yep. Oh, I love her. Who's yours, by the way? My what? My crush? Your celebrity crush. That that girl from uh, the one where they shoot the arrows at people? Oh, Hunger Games? Uh, yes, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. I was thinking of... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but... Elizabeth Banks. I was thinking of her. They look very similar. Yeah, all right. Cool. When you decided you wanted to do the movie Heathers, I remember... Oh, yeah, I saw that movie. I haven't seen it since. Oh, wow. Back, back in the day, <laughs> in the 90s, I think. Yeah. And I remember that movie and when I thought it was fun. Well, I watched it again last night. So did I. And uh, like you said, that you didn't care too much for Ferris Bueller. I didn't care for this movie. <laughs> I mean, I, there's some funny parts in it. And Christian Slater, to me, is so weird in this movie. Maybe I shouldn't talk bad about it. Go ahead and, and you know. No, no, no. It's okay. And you, Christian Slater acts so much like... Jack Nicholson, right? Like Jack Nicholson, it is yeah, yeah. unbelievably crazy. Like, I swear he was doing it on purpose. He was doing it on purpose. He says he was. Okay, all right. <laughs> so there you go. Hello, Jason Dean. Greetings and salutations. Are you a Heather? No. I'm a Veronica. Sawyer. And then I also, I thought Winona Ryder was a terrible actress in this movie. Well, that's fair. I guess I always liked the movie, and I've seen it a few times over the years. I didn't love it as much this time either. Um, I'm not sure exactly why. Um, I always liked the dialogue, but I always felt that the stylistic choices of the movie seem really dated. The music I found intrusive and not very good. <laughs> the soundtrack. These are rolling D50 on there, I noticed. <laughs> did he really? Yes, they did. Uh, I only know that because I used to have one. I recognize some of the sounds. The movie I didn't find as fun this time. And if you haven't seen it, it's very violent. It is kind of, it's about... Well, you know what? Hold on a second. One, let's, let's explain what this movie's about to the people who haven't seen it right. at all. Okay. So uh, Winona Ryder is kind of in this little clique in this high school with uh, three other girls. Named Heather. And they're the popular girls in the school, and they've kind of taken Winona Ryder uh, under their wing to kind of help her become popular. And she uh, is not happy with the way they act, and she kind of meets this boy, Christian Slater, and he, uh, <laughs> he he's, he's a psycho in this movie. Yes, he is. Which, when I watched this before, I didn't think he was a psycho. I just thought, oh, this is a funny movie, right? Mm-hmm. It must be rough moving place to place. Well, everybody's life has got static. Is your life perfect? Oh, yeah, I'm on my way to a party at Remington University. Mm. No, my life's not perfect. I don't really like my friends. Yeah, I, uh, I don't really like your friends either. Well, it's just like there are people I work with and our job is being popular and shit. Maybe it's time to take a vacation. So he kills one of the Heathers. All right, we, we, uh, we did a murder. Now that's a crime. But uh, this were like a suicide thing, you know? They write a note so that people will think it's a, a suicide. Like a suicide thing? Yeah. You can do Heather's handwriting as well as your own, right? 
all of the people in the high school are now all sad and, and, and talking about suicide. And then he kills the two football players and uh, makes them makes it look like a suicide that they were uh, gay lovers. And then um, I think that's all of the people they kill. They did try to kill another uh, woman who was fat. She tried to kill herself. Oh, she, that's right. She tried to she kill herself. stepped in front of a car. Right. Um, because she had been hearing about all these um, suicides. And then it turns out that Christian Slater's character, his dad had killed his mom. I don't know if it was by accident or not. He was a... He uh, demolished buildings. He's a construction guy or a destruction guy. And he would demolish buildings. And near the end of the movie, he tells Winona's character that his mom ran up into one of the buildings. His dad had wired it and set the explosives, and his mom ran up into it. So she killed herself. And so that's probably why he's a psycho at this point, because yes. he saw his mom die. Well, anyway, so he he's... Uh, wants to blow up the whole school and kill everybody inside. And, and he made them all sign this, um, thing saying that, Hey, we want, this is a pact that we're all going to go down together. We're going to kill ourselves, you know? Anyway, so that's what, that's what the movie's about. So it's not the feel good movie of the year. (laughs) Absolutely not. And it took place before all the school shootings and stuff had happened, but there, those elements are all in this movie at the time. I think it's fair to say, if you were a sort of disaffected kid, this movie sort of played into like, oh, you wish you could act like this. I mean, you wish I mean, somebody's bullying you, you just wish you could blow them away. That's not something you yeah. see in a movie now. You know, you'd like to see this person get what's coming to them. They're treating you awfully. Oh, you would like to poison them maybe or something. So this movie kind of brings a lot of those kind of things into fruition. But yeah, it would never, ever, ever be made today <laughs> with all the violence and no. the, it's brutal. And it's... It's, I mean, there's some funny parts to the movie, um, but for the most part, I didn't like it that much, Yeah, I guess. I didn't love it as much as I used to either. Um, one thing I didn't notice about it before was that all, a lot of the characters, the main characters, their clothing is sort of color-coded to match their personalities. Christian Slater is the bad guy, so he always dresses in black, and he has a black trench coat and everything. Uh, Veronica... Uh, Winona's character she's, in black. she's dressed in blue for the most part oh, and then when she okay. starts hanging out with him a little bit she incorporates she'd wear like a black sweater or black stockings or something so there's elements of her blue but mixed with the black and then at the end she's all blue again the three heathers are one of them is red and she's the one that's sort of in control of everybody she's the leader of the group then there's the one in yellow and she is sort of afraid of life she's cowardice incarnate and she's the one who's bulimic, and she she doesn't eat enough, and she's she's very insecure, much more so than the other two. And then there's the third one, who's Shannon Doherty from Beverly Hills, nine hundred one two five or nine hundred one nine hundred two one zero. She was the one in green, and she was envious of the main Heather in red. Huh. And, and even when the main Heather died the green Heather <laughs> took over her role and would wear her red scrunchy. hair scrunchy. Yeah. So she would kind of take on her personality and they play croquet and they all use the same color ball that matches their attire. And so she started using the red ball. Heather, why can't you just be a friend? Why are you such a mega bitch? Because I can be. I mean, it's just, yeah, I never noticed any of that stuff, but it seems so eighties in a way. Like that's a very eighties thing. Like everyone, everyone was color coded. Why are you pulling my dick? 
You know what's funny about this? You said it wouldn't be made today, but they made this into a musical. Did you know that? I did know that, but I haven't seen it. Well, I haven't either. I don't like musicals, but... I don't either. <laughs> I like women singers, but I don't like musicals. Anyway, they made it into a musical, and it's... I mean, I'm not going to tell you to go out and watch this movie, because I didn't care for it too much. <laughs> you know, some movies just kind of get dated, um, and it's not so much dated in the style-wise, but I guess in the way people act. Yeah, I think I'd have a hard time recommending it, too. And I think probably the school shooting stuff, I think, has really put a sour taste in people's yes. mouths. And, and yes. I also know about um, suicide stuff in schools and how that is a big problem mm-hmm. um, nowadays. And maybe it has been all the time and it just didn't get reported so much until now. But, um, yeah, it's just it's not a... It's not the feel good movie of the year for sure. Yeah, it's it's not I'd have a hard time recommending it. I mean, if you grew up in the 80s maybe or the 90s and you want to look back on this kind of it's like from an earlier time and maybe that's worthwhile. But yeah, I wouldn't go out and say, "Hey, you need to watch this movie." Well, I guess at that point then uh thanks for joining us. <laughs> no, go, go Hey, yeah, go check out this movie. No, don't check out this movie. Go check out Tears for Fears instead. <laughs> That's where you, that's where the that's the rabbit hole to go down. This movie Heather's is fun to talk about, but it's not fun to watch. <laughs> is that fair? That's more like it. I just remember it back in the day, and I think were you working at the at the uh, at the video store when this came out? This came out in '89, actually. Yeah, so. that was before I was working there. It came out. I saw it right away in high school, obviously. But no, I but I did rent it. I've rented it a few times over the years. I've seen it. Oh, maybe five or six years ago, most recently. Anyway, it's pretty it's pretty funny anyway, though. I guess just the way they act and the way they talk was just so weird, too. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Great pate, but I got a motor if I want to be ready for that party tonight. I'm going to have to send my SAT scores to San Quentin instead of Stanford. Fuck me gently with the chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa? Yeah, I mean, I'm like wondering, how are you going to put sound clips of this movie into into this podcast? I don't know how. I'll find a way. I actually love the dialogue. I wish there was a way to, if there was a way to modernize it, they, no, they never could. But they did, they did a TV version of it on Paramount a couple of years ago, and it was famously terrible. They tried to make it a, like a more inclusive version like for modern times so like the main characters are heathers and one of them is a trans boy oh this is a remake you're saying oh okay yes it's a total remake yeah and the lead the lead person is a queer woman and i think the other one it's just this strange it's like Hmm. okay this could be the best movie in the world don't call it heathers because that's not anything that has anything to do with this original movie the subject matter was too problematic, obviously, and the characters are just sort of mean for no reason. And they were people that you wouldn't have thought should have been mean in real life. Um, so it was kind of like, who's this show for? And it just wasn't clicking with anyone, and they so Paramount just kind of ditched it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, but apparently the musical is really good, and I might check that out. But uh, gosh, it's pretty low on the, th- on the uh, <laughs> list of things to do. I will spend my time listening to Tears for Fears. Thank you very much. There you go. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on Tapeheads 80s Music and Beyond, where we talk about some of our favorite songs. Um, We're going to talk about some songs we don't like in a couple future episodes. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) anyway, thanks for joining us today. I'm Blaine. I'm Todd. Or you can email us at tapeheads80 at gmail.com. 
We have an Instagram profile. We have a Spotify profile where we put playlists to various some of the bigger episodes. Um, you can find links to all this stuff if you click through to our episode notes. We put all the stuff in there. So if you want to see all that stuff, please feel free to check it out. Excellent. Check us out on Friendster. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>